Well, amen. What a blessing. How, what a powerful song, huh? Everybody can be blessed with that one. In the book of Mark today, chapter number 7, as we work our way through the book of Mark, I've been off of the subject for a couple of weeks, but we'll resume our preaching through the book of Mark today in chapter 7, and find it and look up this way, and then we'll read part of it together. I'll know that you're there when you show me your eyeballs, okay? Mark chapter number 7 this morning, please. I read an article this week about how that one of the traditions that I think we ought to treasure is disappearing in churches, and that's reading the Scripture. And I think that's sad indeed, that uh, we would value other things so important that we would, we would have no time for the public reading of God's Word. Well, we do it, and as you know, we stand of rever- with reverence to it. And if you would stand with me this morning, I'm going to read <clears throat> from Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, and I'm going to go through verse 23. Sometimes I have you read with me, but I think it'll be a little uh, faster if I'll read it here. But I want you to listen and follow with me and think about every word. Mark 7 and verse 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brass vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes ask him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do. And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But you say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, you shall be free." And you suffer him no more to do aught for his mother or his father. Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered, and many such like things do ye. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, 
his disciples asked him concerning the parable. He said unto them, Are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. That's our King James reading. I have a little marginal reference there, and it's the end of the verse. It, it would read like this. Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out, making all meats clean. And so Jesus was really saying to these Jewish zealots that the Old Testament law, the part of it, the ceremonial law that declared some meats unclean, has passed away at this point. Continue in verse 20. And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that is what defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. And my text is really verse 6. Go back to it, if you will. Let's all read it good and strong together, if you will, from the first word, everyone aloud. He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Heavenly Father, add your blessing to the reading of your precious word, we pray this morning, and we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. And you may be seated. On a particular day, the Pharisees came to the Lord Jesus Christ and they asked him a question. They had been observing him and his disciples. And they said, why don't your disciples walk after the tradition of the elders? That's a phrase there, and it's an important phrase for you to understand because it's uh, repeated in the Scripture more than once. The tradition of the elders was traditions that had been built up through some commentaries that the Pharisees and scribes wrote. It had been accumulating layer upon layer upon layer for over the centuries. And so instead of just having the Bible that they followed, the Old Testament Hebrew Scripture, they actually had all these commentaries. They would have been this thick, hundreds and hundreds of little instructions and man-made ideas that had been added to the Scripture. Of course, they were not inspired of the Holy Spirit like the Old Testament Scriptures were. These were additions, man's ideas about what the Scripture said, interpretations by some man, if you, if you will. Now, specifically what they had noticed here in verse 1 and 2 is that the disciples didn't eat, uh, wash their hands before they ate. You and I wouldn't think that was a big deal, though it's good for your health, <laughs> but we wouldn't, thought it, we wouldn't think of that as, as, as displeasing to the Lord. But what they're talking about is not getting the dirt off of your hands. They were speaking about a ceremony that they went through before every single meal, and they would refuse to eat a single bite 
if they didn't go through this little ceremony. And the ceremony was like this. They, sp- they poured special water out of a jar with the fingers, first of all, up like this. So you would pour the water, and you would pour the water. And you had to pour enough water, by the way, according to the old uh, commentaries there, that it would drip off of your wrist. If it didn't drip, you hadn't poured enough. And then you would turn your hands up this way, and you would pour the water, and it had to drip off of your fingers. And then you took the backs of your hands, and you went through a little scrubbing motion here. So it was not to get the hands cleansed of dirt. It was a ceremonial thing that pictured the uh, uh, clean hands before the Lord. And what was Jesus' response when they said, your disciples refused to do that? And it was negative and accusatory. And the Lord Jesus Christ answered them, verse 6, our text, we, I've read it, you read it, let's read it one more time. He answered and he said to them, well, hath Isaiah the prophet said to you hypocrites, and he calls them hypocrites there, and then he quotes the verse almost exactly as it is in Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13, if you want to note it there in your Bible. This people, he said, referring to them, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And so he talks about people honoring him with their lips. Today, we have a term for that, don't we? We call that lip service. We say someone gives lip service to Christianity. What do we mean? We mean that someone is, they claim to be a Christian, but they practice their faith with some type of mechanical, thoughtless, outward conformity that they really don't have their heart in it. And as Jesus said, you honor me with your mouth, with your lips, but your heart is far from me. You go through this outward ceremony in your life. You purport to be a Christian, and yet your heart is as cold as a stone. That's what he was saying. And then he continues. Look in verse 7 through 9 again with me. In vain you worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men like ceremonies that you impose on the people about how to wash their pots and their cups. And he goes through an illustration here that they would understand better than we. In verse 9, he said, Full well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition." Now, we live in a very anti-traditional time in history. Almost every tradition in our country is under attack, whether it be at the church, but marriage, that's a tradition that we've held sacred and is under attack today. And uh, customs that we have, that came out of our Judeo-Christian background, and everything that's traditional today, somebody is opposing, it seems like. Let me make it very clear. I I saw this guy, this rapper on television. He put out a video, and everybody was talking about it. He was talking about how he was against all the traditions and the hypocrisy in the churches. I agree with him. I'm against hypocrisy. I'm against vain traditions. And by the way, that's what the Lord calls them here. I'm not against, though, and don't make Jesus against all traditions. We just observed a tradition. We stand out of reverence when we read the Bible. 
There are traditions, I promise you, they became traditions because they worked. And our country was built on those things that came from our founding fathers and from the Scripture. Be very careful that you take a custom that was acquired over hundreds and thousands of years, and just because it's not cool today, you flip it out. I want to tell you, our traditions made us what we are. Now, what Jesus was, he was not opposing tradition. He was opposing people replacing the Scripture with tradition. If you'll read carefully here what he's saying in verses 7 through 9, it's not that he attacked all tradition, but he didn't like the fact that they were misusing and abusing the traditions that came out of the Scriptures. And he even gives an illustration here. Verse number, uh, let's see, what is it? Verse 11. You see the word there. He said, uh, he said, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say a gift. And that means almost nothing to you and me here this morning because we don't have this practice. What it was was a tradition that had grown up where people could, could dedicate money or property to God, and then they apparently could continue to use it. And these people were abusing that principle of Corban or gifting dedicated things to God. And the reason they were doing it, these guys were manipulating that and distorting that so that they wouldn't have to take care of their own parents, if you can believe it. And that's why he quotes there the commandment to honor your father and your mother. And he is saying, you have twisted the Bible, the Old Testament Scripture, and you are coveting your money so much, you declare these things to be a gift to God dedicated to Him. Then you turn around and won't even take care of your own parents. So, He's not against all tradition, but he is against tradition that detracts from or replaces the Word of God here. I want you to turn with me to a passage of Scripture, and I'm going to ask you to turn to several this morning. So get your Bible out and lick your fingers, and let's go here all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Because Jesus said, you're replacing the truth of God with these traditions, these commentaries that you've interpreted the Scripture rather than the pure Word of God. And he said, with your lips you honor me, but your heart is far from you or from me. Am I speaking to someone this morning? And God forbid, and I pray not. But someone who comes to the Florence Baptist Temple, you give testimony to your salvation. You say, I'm a Christian. And in all reality, though your heart today is very cold, very hard, very distanced from the God that you came here to outwardly proclaim that you worship. I want to tell you the way God looks at us is so different than the way that man looks at other people. First Samuel chapter number 16, and if you will look with me down to verse number 7, Samuel the prophet has gone out to the house of Jesse at the instruction of the Lord to select the next king of Israel. And Jesse brings out all of his sons. And uh, in verse number 7, the Lord spoke to Samuel as he looked at these men. He said, look not on their countenance, their facial features, their good looks, how handsome they are. Or on the height of their statue, here's a big towering fella, 6'4 or something. And he is a hulk. But don't you pay any attention to that. That's a worldly evaluation. 
The Lord seeth not as man seeth. God does not evaluate people as you and I. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. That's what Jesus was saying to these Pharisees that day. And so he is not attacking tradition for its own sake, but he is attacking them because their traditions have become more valuable in their eyes than the Word of God. And I have three simple points today if you're taking notes with me. Number one, biblical Christianity is a religion of the heart. Biblical Christianity, the kind we want to practice as a church, biblical Christianity, number one, is a religion of the heart. What do I mean the heart? Certainly Jesus was not talking about the blood pump that's here in your chest that keeps you alive and pushes the blood through your veins and arteries. He wasn't talking about that. In the Bible, the word heart refers to the inner man. It would be almost equivalent to our use of the word soul. God looks not upon the outward appearance. He looks upon the soul, the inner part, the emotions, the will, the intellect, the way that we reason, the way that we think. God looks at our motivations, our motives, if you will. I remember when George Bush the second George Bush was running for president back, uh, I guess, in 2000 or 2001. He was up in New Hampshire, and they had all the Republican candidates there, and they asked a really off-the-wall question. I think they were really trying to trap him. They said, what political philosopher has meant the most to you? And do you remember George Bush's answer that night in that debate? He said, Jesus Christ. And the reporter followed up and said, why do you say Jesus Christ? He wasn't even a political philosopher. And he gave a wonderful answer. I was sitting at home talking to the TV as usual. And so I said, yeah, go get him, George, when he did that. Because he said, it's Jesus Christ because he changed my heart. Do you remember that answer? My, if he had had a month to think about that, he could not have given a better answer. Jesus Christ. He changed my heart. What was he talking about? He wasn't talking about his physical organ here. He was talking about his very soul, his motivations, the way he thinks, his philosophy of life. Now, Jesus here says to these Pharisees, your heart is very far from me. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is distanced from me. You really don't think about me when you're alone. You don't really practice your faith except when you're in public where it can be observed and where you can get some, some social points for it. And so Jesus said to them, you honor me, but your heart is far from me. And far from me implies insincerity, and it implies hypocrisy. He was saying to them, you're ostentatious. You like to stand up and get attention for your faith, but it really doesn't mean much to you down in the very inner core of your being. There's a term that's come into vogue in the last few years. We call it a cultural Christian. A cultural Christian. A cultural Christian, we used to call them nominal Christians. Now the term is cultural Christian. What do we mean by that? 
We mean someone who identifies themselves as a Christian or a church member, but they don't really practice the faith. Or they may go to church, but when they walk out the door, they don't really think about the faith and live the faith and walk the faith. They just say, I'm a Christian, as opposed to being a a Buddhist or a, a Muslim or something like that. Interesting, there's some new studies, some new polls out by George Barna and others who say that cultural Christians are declining. The numbers of cultural Christians are declining in the country. And I find it very, very interesting as I think about that because I would say, why is that true? And then it's pretty obvious. The value to a person for claiming to be a Christian socially has declined in this country. There was a time when a family would move to town, and they joined the Baptist church, the Presbyterian church, the Catholic church, or something. But they joined a church because you just had to be a member of a church. If you weren't a churchgoer and a church member, it was equivalent to, like, what's wrong with you? And so everybody would join a church. They would at least put up the front. And hence, we, we got into our churches through the years many cultural Christians, because we can't look at their heart. Only God can do that, as you well know. But today, the social value of saying you're a Christian has declined to the point that if you declare yourself a Christian, it probably is a negative and not a positive. Look at what's happening as Christianity is being regularly attacked. Every day, there's a new story in the news. So it used to be you could say, I'm a Christian, and people say, well, that's it. he's a good guy. I'll buy my insurance or my car from him because he goes to the church. He's, he's got to be a good man. Well, today, you say, I'm a Christian, you may get punched out. Uh, or people will say, well, you're another one of those bigots down there preaches hate. We have so distorted what Christianity is about. Barnes says these people are leaving the church because there's no value anymore in saying, I'm a Christian. And honestly, that may help the church in the long run because it will purify it. And we won't have to deal with the impediments we have to uh, climb over because of hypocrisy. We'll be a more pure people for it. But I want to tell you today, if you give lip service to Christianity, if you're here this morning and you came to our church I want you to feel loved and affirmed and welcome, but I want to tell you in the strongest possible terms that I can can speak, I want you to know it's the tragedy of all tragedies. If you give lip service to the Christian faith and your heart is far from God because the consequences to you will be eternal, my friend, it won't end in this life. If you acknowledge Jesus Christ, but your heart is cold and wicked and far from Him, in the next life, you will pay for that. Don't play around with Almighty God, my friend. The Christian faith is a religion of the heart. Turn again to the Old Testament with me, the book of Proverbs. I want to show you a verse that just really capsulizes what I'm trying to say, just puts it in one succinct little verse of Scripture here. It's the book of Proverbs, chapter number 4. And look with me in God's Word there today. Proverbs 4 and 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, 
For out of it are the issues of life. The big issues of life are determined by your heart. I didn't make the decision about marrying my wife Norma because of a checklist, a rational set of decisions. There may have been some of that involved. But do you know what happened? At the First Baptist Church of Fort Worth, Texas in 1967, sitting over here on the platform to the side, I looked out there and I spotted a lady, and it was all heart from then on. The head had too little to do with it. I just was blessed to the Lord that I made a good decision. But it was the heart, wasn't it? And in life, think about it. Most of the major decisions we make are heart decisions, sometimes to our regret. And the, and the verse starts off with the word keep there. Keep thy heart. Guard the heart. Protect the heart. Watch over your heart. Be careful, little eyes, what you see on the television and the movie screen. Guard the heart. Guard the mind. Guard the soul. Let in the wrong thing, and it has the capacity to destroy you. Keep the heart with all diligence. Out of it are the big issues. Yesterday afternoon, I was exercising. I thought I had my sermon all done. And I was riding my bike through the community. And as I rode my bike, I remembered an old song. I think the Lord gave me this. I remembered an old, old song that I used to hear as a kid and then growing up. It's an old gospel song. I can remember the Blackwood Brothers Quartet singing this song. So you know how old it is. I'm dating myself, but look at these words. Friend, how would you feel if your heart were made with a window on each side so that all could see not just outward charm, but detect if inward harm? How about your heart? That's the issue today. How about your heart? Is it right with God? That's the thing that counts today. Is it black with sin? Is it pure within? Could you ask Christ in to stay? People often see you as you are outside. But Jesus really knows you. He can see inside. How about your heart? Is it right with God? That's the thing that counts today. Number one, biblical Christianity is religion of the heart. Number two, every sin has its origin in the heart. Now, I borrowed that from our RU program over there. That's one of the ten principles that they Uh, say almost every single week when they meet together asking God to deliver them from the sins of addictions. And in verse number 21 here, turning your Bible back to our main text, Mark chapter 7, every sin has its origin in the heart. Verse 21, for from within, the Lord Jesus said, out of the heart of men, I underscored that in my Bible, Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts. Notice that's first. 
Because it always begins with the thought life, doesn't it? As a man thinketh, so is he. From within, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, all types of sex, sexual sin, murderers, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, lust, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile the heart. Sounds like Jeremiah's assessment of the heart. In chapter 17, verse 9, a verse I've often quoted, and you probably know by heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. How different the assessment of God's Word is and the assessment of the modern progressives and liberals in theology who say man has got this little divine spark down in him and all you have to do is fan it and put him in the right, right environment and you know what? It's going to burst forth and it's just going to flame out. No, 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 no. God says the problem is the heart. And here is this catalog, if you will, of the evils of the human heart, that which is spewing out of it, if you will. Jesus said, we're not defiled by our environment, what is around us, near as much as we are from the inside. And he mentions first these evil thoughts, evil thoughts. Now think again here of our verse in Proverbs 4, 23. Keep your heart, guard your heart. <laughs> I'm out uh, riding my bike again. I see the woman. There's a young woman, attractive young woman. And she's got a little kid in a little red wagon, and the kid has a helmet on. I thought, oh, Lord, I pray that she won't put that kid in the Florence Christian schools one of these days. Because I believe we might be dealing with an overprotective mama here <laughs> falling out of the little red wagon. So, but at any rate, you know, I think the Bible says we're to put on the helmet. Put on the helmet. Guard your mind. Guard your thoughts. Guard what you see. And, or guard what you see. Guard what you hear. He's not talking here about Hitler. Jesus is not. He's talking about us. He's talking about every single one of us that that heart has an evil capacity if it's not brought under the discipline of the Word of God and brought to salvation. As you go down through that last portion of the passage here in Mark chapter 21, or chapter 7, beginning in verse 21, throughout the rest of that, the Lord is making this point. We're not going to be able to be saved by reforming our life. A lot of people think, I just need to get my act right. I just need to clean up my act. I hear people say that to me. Preacher, I need to clean up my act. You can't clean up your act. It's not your act that's the problem. It's the heart. It's deep inside. It's the soul that's the problem. You don't have enough willpower, enough strength. You can't lift yourself by your own bootstraps. You can't reform yourself. You can't say, I'm going to start following Christ today because you don't have the capacity to follow Christ in your own strength. The Bible says you must be born again, born from above, born from outside yourself, where God in heaven 
through his grace and his mercy, reaches down, and through the merits of his son, he gives you a new heart. And that's your hope. That's my hope today. I will get no points for having come to this town and planted this church and pastored it through many years. I know he'll give me a reward for deeds of righteousness, but I get no points when it comes to my salvation because I've tried to be a faithful preacher. No, there are other faithful preachers who never met God, really. They were professional preachers. God says you must be born again. You must have a new heart. We're not Christians because of our affiliation with the Florence Baptist Temple. We're not true Christians. Our heart hasn't been changed because we went through the baptistry up here or some other ritual. A heart is not changed because I live a good moral life and people look at me and my reputation is intact. No. Jesus was talking to the most righteous people in his culture, the Pharisees. They get labeled as being bad people. The truth is you would have loved to have a Pharisee for a neighbor. They would have been the best neighbor on the block. Their whole philosophy was one of good works an outward, ostentatious service to people. No, you would have loved having a Pharisee for a neighbor. They were good people. But Jesus said, though you honor me externally, the heart is far from me. Bowing our head, kneeling, raising our hands in worship, reading the Bible, praying, even attending church, it means nothing. It means nothing, my friend, unless the heart is pure and right before God. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The book of Romans chapter 10, turn with me there. It's a familiar scripture, but I sure want you to revisit it and look at it and absorb it into your thoughts today. It's chapter 10. In verse 9 of the book of Romans, and we often use it when we take people down what we call the Romans road to salvation, one of the ways that people have learned to present the gospel effectively. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, that's the lips, the Lord Jesus, but that's not all, and believe in thine heart with all your being that God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, now notice verse 10, it is with the heart, not outward actions. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. The Scripture says, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And so, Knowing the plan of salvation intellectually will not save you without the heart. Praying the sinner's prayer is not salvation, absent the heart. God says, believe in me, on me, with all your heart. I hope you get it. I'm repeating it. Because I want you to see that God values sincerity. He values repentance. He values coming to him 
not caring what anyone or anybody else in the whole world thinks about it or how it will impact your bottom line or your reputation, that you come to him with an urgency that, Lord, I only wish to please you. God, come and help me do it. So, an appeal from the Lord. Turn one other place, and this will be it. Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs 23. And what a powerful passage we have here. Verse number 26, Proverbs 23. My son, give me thine heart. My son, give me thy heart. You know, that's almost turned around, isn't it? Usually we're coming to the Lord and asking him to give us things. Lord, give me this, give me this. Lord, would you give me back my health? Lord, would you provide for my family? Lord, and we're asking the Lord to give us things. And this verse has turned around. And the Lord makes an appeal to us. Would you give me something? Well, yes, Lord, I'll give you something. What is it that you would like? And the Lord says, give me your heart. Give me your heart. Give me that inner being, that soul, the mind, the emotions, and the will, your deepest inner being. Give me your whole self. And why does he do that? He does that because he loves us. He does that. He wants your heart because he wants the best for you in this life and in the life to come. And so he appeals to us. Give me your heart. Can I try to personalize that to you? Lots of people here. Good crowd this morning. But let me ask you to personalize that and read it like this. That the Lord is asking me to give him my heart there in Proverbs. Have you given him your heart? To give him money without my heart is absolute folly, isn't it? To pray without heart, just to say words, is hypocrisy. To teach the Bible like many of you did in the Sunday school hour, it's a mockery if we're teaching intellectual, intellectually communicating facts, but we don't have the heart in it. To sing like the choir did so beautifully. But to do it without the heart is just empty noise. It's just performance. It's just entertainment. For the preacher to stand and preach, even the Word of God, if his heart is not there, if his heart is not right, if his heart is not in it, if it doesn't come out of his soul and not just out of his mind, it's like a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal because God wants the preacher's heart. To witness this week, it's possible to even witness without heart and to be a false witness, to serve in the church in some position, ostensibly to further the work of the kingdom of God, but to serve without heart is to serve one's own interests. My son, give me your heart. Scripture says. Have you done that today? I'm so glad the 
Lord impressed upon me that old gospel song as I was riding my bike. Friend, how would you feel if your heart were made with a window on each side where the whole world could look in? So that all could see not just your outward charm, but detect if there's inward harm. How about your heart? Is it right with God this morning as you sit in this pew? Or is it black with sin? Is it pure within? Could you ask Christ in to stay? People see me as I am outside. But Jesus really knows me because he can see inside. And so how about your heart? Is it right with God? That's the thing that counts on May 18th, 2014. How about your heart? This is not a happy message. This is a heavy message. But I'm just taking it as it comes. If it's a happy text, you get a happy message. If the next verse is a solemn verse, you get a solemn message. It's not a happy verse, but you know something? We preach the gospel to people and tell them how wonderful it is for, that Jesus will save them and how he died on the cross. And I've been doing this so long in the Bible Belt in South Carolina. I'm afraid sometimes the wonderful gospel of God's grace rolls off of people like water off a duck's back. And I figured out something. People don't understand or appreciate the good news until they first understand the bad news. I'm not going to go to the doctor tomorrow and say, Doc, you know what? I feel like I'd like to have a little surgery. I won't be doing that. But if he looks at me and says, Mr. Monroe, this is vital to your life and health because you have a fatal, potentially fatal disease, I'm going to say, sharpen your knife. People don't appreciate the good news that the surgery can bring a cure until they know there's bad news. And the same is applicable to the Christian faith. Until we see the heart as God sees the heart, the gospel provision won't mean a whole lot, I'm afraid. This morning, I've tried to vividly picture that for you and in detail describe it to you. I'd like for you to bow your head with me in prayer.